QUT acknowledges the Turrbal and Yugara as the First Nations owners of the lands where QUT now stands. We pay respects to their elders, laws, customs and creation spirits. We recognise that these lands have always been places of teaching, research and learning. QUT acknowledges the important role Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people play within the QUT community. And here at How To Academia, we also acknowledge that these lands have never been ceded. Welcome to How To Academia. Leaving high school and joining the world of uni can be a weird and difficult time. On this podcast, we talk to our friends, students and academics to find out how they went about the process of developing professional skills, dealing with challenges and generally navigating the gooey mess of being a human in the academic world. Our guest to this episode is Sandra Fry. Sandra is liaison librarian at QUT. It's actually extremely cool. I'll let her tell you all about the role, though if you're listening to this podcast, there's a good chance you already know. On this episode, Sandra and Jody have a great conversation about all the ways librarians can help you that they wish people knew, the life lessons you learn as a journalist for the ABC, especially covering court cases, and the importance of treating people well. Sandra also discusses the breast cancer cluster at the ABC, as she was one of the staff members who worked at that office and got cancer. I learned a lot listening to and editing this episode, and I hope you get a lot out of it too. And if you remember nothing else, go to the library. Without any further ado, Sandra Fry. Welcome to How To Academia. Who the heck are you? I'm Sandra Fry. I'm a liaison librarian at QUT. What does that mean? Well, that means that my role primarily, I work with academics and with uh, high degree research students to help them get through their research. So what does your like day look like? My day looks like, well, often we'll have uh, consultations with, with academics or with other staff or with HDR students. We also do classes for them in our AIRS program, which is a, a, a credit point unit here at QUT. We also do lots of fiddly bits when academics are preparing for classes. We help them with their readings. We help them with uh, finding resources for their, their units. And then there's a whole other side of liaison work. We do um, collection development, so we develop the collections in, within the library. So finding the right books and journals uh, that all the students and academics can use here. What do you wish people understood about the library that generally they don't? I wish people would take the time just to explore it even for five minutes before they start their studies because often we get people who, who say, oh, I've never been in the library, I've, I've never really used it. And we say, well, have you found a journal article for your assignment? And they go, yeah. And we go, well, well, we did that. We made that journal article be there. So aside from choosing those journals and things like that, we want people to once they take a really good look at the website, which is where 97%, I think, of all of our resources and material are, they'll get a much better idea of how much stuff we have and how much will they have at their disposal. It's, we're very lucky here. We've got a lot of money to do it. I just think it's incredible. And the thing that I wish that people understood better, particularly students, is once you go out in the big wide world, in what we would call the real world, you don't get access to these resources. No, that, that's right, Jodie. And we often have students sort of 
working in small law firms saying, oh, you know, can I still get it? We're like, no, sorry, once you're gone, you're gone. We do provide community access. You know, we've got some great uh, resources for members of the community at the library, which are available to them all the time. But some of our sort of real proprietary subs and, and um, books and things like that, they just don't have access to because they're no longer a student. I just, oh, oh, it's such a shame. <laughs> I'm going to say so much money goes into that collection and there's so much that's gold there. It's like, that's always my top tip to students. Get this stuff while you can. Download everything. Absolutely. And, and you know, students are within their rights to do that, providing they uh, abide by copyright uh, regulations and things like that. But we have such an amazing collection and it's not just the academic stuff. We have really great digital collections with, you know, historical uh, photographs uh, collections, for example, of Brisbane, you know, from the 1800s. You know, we've got some really good uh, other stuff that doesn't get too much, get used too much, but somebody has to have it and we have it here. I just, I didn't even know that. That's amazing. Yeah, they're amazing. Our digital collections librarian is just the most amazing woman and she really um, takes care to ensure that these things are preserved. You know, it's really good. Jill Rogers is her name. Yeah. She'd be amazing to talk to. I need to talk to Jill. Have you always been a librarian? No, I haven't. When I when I finished school, I had no idea what I wanted to do, and I was, you know, pretty immature. And so I sort of went out into the world. I worked, you know, in office jobs, and then I got into PR a little bit, and I, I got a job doing promotions in a in a government agency, and I really liked that. And my boss used to take us out every. It was in in a food sort of area take us out every Friday and we'd go for this great lunch and she'd write me off as a journalist because she was allowed to take them out to lunch. <laughs> often there would be other journalists there and often I would be driving them all home after this lunch, to be honest. But um, it, it sort of gave me a, an idea that, oh, journalism sounds like something really fun. You get to go out and, and, you know, it's fun work. So I decided to go back and I went back. I did a year of business and then I got into journalism at, at UQ here and I, I did that. And from an internship, I went straight into the ABC. Wow. That's quite a great gig for an in, from an internship. Yeah, it was brilliant. And, you know, I think four out of five of us who did internships that year all got jobs at the ABC. So I instantly had some pals that we'd all worked, you know, been at uni together and we worked together. And it really is a small pool. Every time you go out on a job as a journalist, you're running into people that you're at uni with because everyone's sort of starting out at the same time. And um, it's... It's a really good gig and I got to do all different types of things at the ABC. I got to uh, produce uh, programs for like the programs that were on ABC radio. So I got to be a producer. I got to be a, a court reporter. So I spent probably about three or four years sitting in courtrooms, you know, writing the reports for, for court cases. And I did quite a bit of state politics. So did the, I was doing the late sessions in state parliament for quite a while. So it was really varied, really good job, and I ended up being chief of staff here in Brisbane in the office, like the, the late chief of staff. It was a really good gig. What did you take away from journalism in terms of life lessons? I think you really learn that people are all the same, but not everyone's given the same opportunities. So it's a real levelling experience from sitting in court particularly, you know, the people coming in and out of court. I had lived up and grown up in a world where no one ever went to court. You know, I, you know, it wasn't even, there's a whole layer of 
underground sort of life that, I mean, you knew it existed, but you sort of got to see it at that level. And that was, that was really sad and made me feel very um, lucky to have grown up the way I did, to, to have that not even enter my, my existence. But I'm really glad that I did because it makes you understand, you know, how things work and why things don't work for some people. You know, people just can't get on in life and it's, it was a really good uh, eye-opener. I think some of our, like our students come from a similar background where they have kind of a vague interest in crime potentially driven by, you know, popular media. What would be your takeaway for them when they're, I guess, encountering things that they didn't really understand because of their upbringing? God, I don't know. I think uh, spending a lot of time seeing that kind of you know, that life that I hadn't had. It just, I don't know, there, there's, you always see examples of opportunities where people have improved their circumstances and it might just be improved their, their mental circumstances or improved their financial circumstances. But you, you see, well, you see a lot of people and in the courts, you see a lot of people coming through the same people coming through the same time, but you do see a lot of people where there's been some successes and they've kind of moved on or you know, I, I think knowing that there is a way out, and I think, you know, I've probably always known that I've always had a backup, you know, in my life, but giving people hope that there's a way out, I think there's some examples that you can see when, you, when you're seeing that kind of, you know, that real life circumstances all the time. I mean, same. Like, I feel like in my life I've been incredibly privileged to come from a middle, upper class socio-demographic and I feel as if I've always had a fallback that not everybody has in their life. I'm curious though, I think journalism is such an interesting profession and I always wonder, how do you just get over needing to talk to people? It's, it's difficult, it's very difficult because we, when, when you're a journalist, it's like being sort of a frontline worker but without the terrible trauma, I think. You're seeing people generally at their worst, and that's you know that's what's making news, or that's what's well. They're re- seeing people at their best, but usually you're seeing people at their worst. So you know there's been instances where we've had to try to get comments from people who've just gone through the most awful tragedies and things like that. And I think I was very lucky at the time, particularly when I worked in courts. We were we were kind of a pack together, and I say that in we were together. We weren't, you know, it was a, we were a knife pack, and um, we had one particular journalist who was always working with us from one of the commercial TV networks, and she is delightful and one of those people who can, who can, get people on board very quickly to something. And I think this was a really good thing. We would say, look, we really want to talk to them. Can you? And she would be, yeah, I'm happy to do it. And we would all pull in and we would, we would say, okay, we'll only have one camera. We'll try and make it as easy on the people because I understand, you know, sometimes that, that this kind of thing's necessary. So we would, it's almost collusion in the commercial world of television, but we would, we would get this one wonderful journalist to go in and talk to them and she would come out and say, okay, they're talking, we can only have this. And then we would sort of just stand there and she would do it. And <laughs> And so, you know, it's it's not like you see in the TVs where in the TV or on movies when all the journalists are fighting for each each thing. It was very rarely like that because we had a, a good group and if we were all at a job or all at a court case, we were all gonna get the same sort of story anyway. So I think it was 
much better for the people that we were wanting to talk to just to have to deal with one person and and do it like that so I feel like we we did that well. What did you learn then about standing out in a pack because in journalism you you've got to have something that's distinct that stands out what did you learn? Well I think I, I learned and, and everybody does their own little thing like we're in a pack of in big cases that were everywhere but I had an office in the Supreme Court and it was next door to the bloke who'd been doing the reporting for the Courier Mail for a long long time and I learned a lot of things from him and if you I learned things like if you had your own story your own scoop that you were the only person you didn't tell anyone that that's how you sort of excel you sit in court for hours just to get a particular date so that you know when to come back and you're not giving that date to anybody else so there were ways to be really good at that job without sort of stomping on other people or, or doing things just being thorough and and, and making sure that you were in court when you were supposed to be in court. You know, that kind of thing's really important. You had to put in hours, and some days you would sit in courtrooms for hours, not get a thing, you know. And you'd go to the editor that afternoon, look, we just, we're not gonna even have a story for that, you know. There would be a story saying, we're not gonna have a story, <laughs> which is a whole other part of journalism. But when you, when you were doing a great case and, and everybody was doing it, it was, it was a very strong camaraderie, but it was also quite competitive, you know, to make sure that you had the story. Yeah, I feel like I would really struggle with that competitive edge. Yeah. Like it would be difficult for me. I was very lucky because the ABC is very, like they, you know, we always generally had the story. We had probably, we had a TV reporter and a radio reporter back at that time. They don't have that now. Yeah. We were dedicated court, court reporters. They don't have that now. Um, so, and we were following... And I don't know whether it was like there were just big things happening in, in Brisbane at the time, but we had great cases that we followed through with, you know, that you saw the first moment someone was presented at the court, or you even might have seen them get arrested, and then you follow that through to the end of the trial or whatever, and it was, it's very satisfying. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah. What's your, I guess, your translation of that experience for justice students today? Well, you know, it marries so well. I was so thrilled when I started doing justice because I felt like I had a bit of a, a common interest with it because I'd seen so much of the justice system in operation and I'd seen it, seen it do good things, really good things, and I'd seen it, you know, people be failed by the system, you know. So I think for justice students is to open your eyes to the opportunities where you can where you're going to, it mightn't be the most glamorous job in the world doing something, working for corrective services or working in the parole board or something, you know. There's some, some unglamorous jobs involved, but it's so fulfilling because the people you are helping are relying on you to get through the day, you know. I think you can do so much good in justice, you know, even at the higher levels. We spoke to a lot of police officers during the, the course of my career and you very rarely met a police officer who wasn't in it to help people, mm. you know, you really, it restores your faith in humankind, the good work that people do in the justice system. And I think, you know, they don't get applauded for it. In fact, the, the reverse happens, you know, when something happens, like at the moment we've got all these headlines about juvenile crime and things like that. Those people who are the support workers trying to get through the day on those things, you know, are getting panned by the media, but you know, they are doing the best with what they got, I presume. I think, like, I think it's really easy and a really apt point that it's really easy to get overwhelmed by all of the negative stuff and what can be seen as failures because people don't change rapidly enough or you don't 
feel as if you're making a significant difference but if you that point about people are relying on you to get through the day is so significant and so important to understand in any field of justice work yeah absolutely and you know I've, I've been seeing justice students for about five or six years now and you know it is a, a wider participation kind of area of the university as far as the cohort is concerned and um and it's it's so some of these kids are presumed kids and, and older people they never thought they would go to uni they mm. you know they, they'll be the first person going to uni in their family they never dreamed in a million years that they would get there and do it and and to see them thriving in the university environment is the most wonderful thing and I just sit there I, I go to the orientation every year here and you look around and you see these faces and you just think oh I just hope that you hang in there when it when it's not so good or when you've got something else going on if you can hang in there get your degree you'll get any job in justice probably that you like and you know you will be a beacon of of hope for your family and for the people around you and it's just so it's such a wonderful opportunity for people who never I mean I know the degree's been going for, for decades now but for people who never thought that they would have a profession you know it's yeah um, it's incredible so I, th- I think my point is to hang in there when it gets tough because it's going to get tough and other stuff will go on in your life but if you can get through and get this degree the job that you will have will do so much good yeah you know it'll be really worth it and fulfilling yeah I think so what have you learned from working with justice academics <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I think I think you know. Same with justice students; they are people who are from the much wider community. I think than the general academia people. They care so much about their research areas and their students. You know, it's remarkable. Sandra, what happened? You seem like you really loved being a journalist. What happened? I did. It was good. I I, I loved it. And then when I I had a couple of kids, and I went back part time, and I had this great chief of staff role in the afternoon and it was good but there was a, a I, I got cancer I got breast cancer and for anyone who'd been around Brisbane for a long time this was it had happened before at the ABC and it was when I got sick I was in hospital the staff did a complete walk out of the site at Wong, and so I was in hospital sort of recovering from surgery and seeing on TV all of my friends and colleagues come out so it was pretty it was a, a pretty big thing. More than 25 women who sat around a table about the size of a small office were uh, got breast cancer over a sort of a 10 or 12 year period. So they walked out and lots of investigations began into whether it was something at the site and things like that. So I went on leave for a while to, to you know have my treatment and recover. And then just as I was sort of feeling better at, the job sort of came up to be a sessional academic here at QUT in the journalism department. So I'd worked with the people who were running the course before. The the head of the school was one of my lecturers at university So and had written the textbook that I had used in journalism. So it was nice to be able to go back. I didn't want to go back to the ABC. I didn't want to go out reporting or anything again. And um, so I went um, and started doing that. And so I was teaching radio broadcast in a, in a second and third year unit, practical unit. So we had studios and, and the students would come in for a week and, and you would sort of be the chief of staff and 
they would um, pitch ideas and then they would go and do interviews and, and, and the, the news was actually run on AAA, I think. No, 4EB. 4EB. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so that was really uh, my first sort of dealing with adult students, you know, since I'd left uni myself. So it was, and it was wonderful. It was a really good thing. It only went for about six or seven weeks a semester. And so I had small kids, so it sort of fitted in really well. But I ended up doing that for like a lot longer than I thought I would. I probably thought I would go back to journalism, but I, I stayed on. It was a really great job to have. Very fulfilling, you know, seeing these students. I look around, I look on TV now and I see, you know, Oh, my student, my student, you know, that was, she was a great student, you know, I've had contact with some of them now still, so it's, it was a really uh, good time to be involved, but it was only part-time and my kids were getting a little bit older, so I felt like I wanted to do more work or do something at least, and I actually went to a school open day and was walking through the library and thought, this is what I want, this is perfect, this yeah. is everything I want, this is this is amazing, you know, because libraries weren't like when I was a kid, just books. They were centres for information finding and it sort of resonated really well with me. So I thought, oh, I'll become a librarian. I totally want to follow up on the librarians thing because I think they're totally magic. But I also want to ask, the thing that will be in the listener's mind is, was it something in the environment? Oh, with the ABC. Yeah, with the oh, ABC. Look, they, they didn't find out. It was it was sort of, it became a, a uh, designated cluster. And uh, and the most interesting, well, the, the most interesting uh, fact that they used, they said this was, the, it was a one in a million chance of this being a coincidence that all of these women had got sick. And the worst thing was that they said, and based on these numbers and figures, for the next 10 years, one woman will get breast oh, cancer God. who has sat here. And they were spot on. That happened. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was, um, it was pretty dire. And, and, and we, are, uh, we are in our own little club and we are all, you know, keep in touch and everything. But it's, you know, it was a terrible thing. And, I, you know, I'm pretty fatalistic. I don't blame the ABC, of course. I, you know, I can't blame them. They were very good to us. We had the opportunity to do lots of, you know, counselling and, and things like that. But, you know, it, it, no one knows what causes breast cancer. Yeah. You know? So, you know, one of the I was talking to one of the researchers, and he said, "We'll probably find in twenty years it will be some sort of fungus or some sort of viral thing, and then we'll know." You know. Yeah. Wow. So we just don't know. It seems like though, that's an incredibly traumatic and difficult thing to bond with, with a bunch of your colleagues. What's your takeaway from that? Well, I think it was because I can remember, you know, the women before me who, when they got sick, and, you know, I was only 36, one of them was in her early 30s. And I can remember just when I found out and I was there and I was like, oh, my God. You know, we, we just couldn't. You couldn't believe it, and mm. then it happened to someone else, and someone else, or someone was a bit older, so you don't know. And, and then this person had it, but she hadn't been there very long, and things, you know. So, and and two of the the women were totally amazing, and they sort of became the voice of all of us. Um, I didn't want to go on TV or be interviewed or do anything like that, you know. I didn't want anything like that coming back at me, you know, later. 
but two of our very brave, and they were both television, they were both on-air people, uh, Lisa Backhouse and Joe Youngelson, or Joe Stone now, and they were, they really fought for everybody. They, you know, they got things done, made inquiries, you know, made the ABC do things, made things happen for all of us, which was really so brave and incredibly strong. And so they sort of were the, the, the leaders and then, and you know, we, we don't all get together so often, but we all sort of keep taps on each other yeah. now. So it was like 16 years ago. That's yeah. quite a collegial connection to have. So what had changed for you that you didn't want to go back into journalism? I think I only would have gone back into journalism if I would go... The only place I really had proper respect for was the ABC's journalism, So, and I didn't want to go back there. So yeah. I actually did PR, PR with two of the girls who had opened a PR company, two of the other women who'd been involved in the cluster... But PR's not my thing, we, I decided. It's not really um, not really for me. I'm more of a tell it like it is rather than put the sparkles on. Yeah, <laughs> put the spin. <laughs> so I, I totally get the walking into the library and being like, this is what I, where I want to be, what I want to do. One of my favourite students ever ditched justice to become a librarian after she'd... And then I was like, you're incredible. And off she goes to be a librarian, which is both very exciting and completely tragic. What what was your what did you have to do to become a librarian? Well, I went in, I, you know, looked a little bit online and I found that there was a course run at QUT, which was it's was actually a uh, in the science and engineering field. So it's information technology. And there were various strands and one of them was library information. So I looked into that and I thought, oh, I can do a graduate certificate in that. And I went in and spoke to someone about it and they said, oh, you can do your master's. And I liked the way that sounded because I thought, oh, that sounds very important, my <laughs> master's. And so I did that part-time, you know, I was still working uh, it, with the students up in, in the journalism department. And so I did that over the course. And, and in fact, while I was, I was still doing a lot of that journalism work right up and, and then I just had to stop because I, I got full-time work. So I, I started doing the course. Six months into the course, they uh, an email came out saying they were looking for people to do the online chat at the library. You know, we've got online chat here for the students and stuff. And so I started doing a four-hour shift once a week. It was three hours online, and then you would do one hour on the desk. We used to have a library desk. And so that was great, a really good introduction. You learned so much doing that. Then I ended up doing three of those shifts and then I ended up, you know, doing a contract here and a contract there. And I said yes to absolutely everything. Mm -hmm. And I'm still doing lots of contracts and things. I do have an ongoing job in the library, but it's it's not this. And yeah. I haven't done it for five years. <laughs> That's really hilarious. But there's, I mean, there's also a takeaway from that, I think, in terms of why have you been so willing to step away from an ongoing position? Well, I haven't been willing to step away from an ongoing position. I've been sort of given up more than ongoing. My ongoing position is 25 hours a week right. at quite a lower level than I was that I'm on now. So I've just, you know, accepted everything, built up my skills, I think, pretty quickly. And there's a lot, there's a lot of similarities between journalism and, and librarianship because we, we're in both of those jobs. You're seeking information. Mm. You know, you're finding uh, finding things for people or finding out information for 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 work so there's a really nice synergy I think about the work that I do 
with journalism because you really are looking for for things all the time. Why do you think you're so just willing to take every opportunity? Like that seems, I know like people say take every opportunity, but it seems exhausting to me. Well, do you know what? One bit of advice I might give just to students is it becomes quite difficult to change your career at 45, which I did. And that was um, a massive change for me. When I had done my undergraduate degree, it was uh, all papers and everything was on paper or in books. And so we had to go to the library, we had to find the journal, we had to find the article, we had to photocopy it. Then we, you know, there was no scanning. It was, it was hard labour, but there was a limited amount of material you could look at, which kind of made it easy. Starting a degree at 45, like, and I had pretty good tech skills, but just finding information, there's so much information mm. online, it can be overwhelming. And I think sometimes, you know, my job as a journalist, which some people call a gatekeeper, you know, you, you get all the information and then you spit out what you want, which, which we all know happens uh, in the media. Uh, here, we have so much information so librarians are kind of like gatekeepers as well because we choose the collections and the things that we have here so that, that our students and staff don't get rubbish. Yeah. Yeah. So that was very difficult. 45. So I wanted to be good at it because, you know, you don't want to mess about. So I just took... I, I worked one job. We used to have a, a campus at Caboolture. So there was a job going for three hours on a Sunday morning at Caboolture and the library was open for three hours on a Sunday morning and I had small children. So for 12 months, I think I did that. Wow. Sunday morning up at Caboolture, but I was able to learn so much. I was there with another librarian and so I really like picked their brains. Everyone I worked with in the library here, who I still work with most of them, everyone was so generous with helping me. Like I had lots of questions all the time. So I just asked them and, you know, why hasn't this, you know, there was always a way, Some, someone always knew. So everyone was very generous when you ask questions about, about things and um, I was probably too annoying for some people but anyway it, it helped me so I did all those little jobs and then I didn't get an ongoing job for about three years but I had always had lots of work and mm. contracts and I was in the law library for a long time and then I was I've only come to Kelvin Grove since since justice has come over here and it is amazing to be here but like I said I, I'm still uh, on, on contracts. There's something in that, I think, because the justice sector is increasingly casualised and increasingly people will need to be, will just be on bumping from contract to contract to contract because we keep defunding essential services in ridiculous ways, which is a whole conversation for another time, unless you want to have it now, in which case (laughs) I'm in. So I think those skills around having to, like, find and secure contracts again how do you stand out to do that yeah I think I'm I'm, you know I've often just been in the right place at the right time I think uh, to get my job in the law library they always wanted people with a law degree back then it's probably not even that many years ago probably about six six years ago seven years ago and um, they were desperate for someone. They needed to fill this contract really quickly. And I spoke to the manager. He's not here now, so I can say that. And I said, well, I've sat in courtrooms for like three years. <laughs> I was a court reporter for a long time. So I, I kind of know what it's like in a courtroom. And I've had to report on the law. And I've had to, you know. And that's how I got in. I, 
they were really quite desperate to have something start <laughs> the next day. But I thought it was like that was one of those opportunities where you say, oh, this might help. Yeah. It's totally about like you identifying and selling your own assets though. <laughs> like you've got to have the guts to step up and say, actually, you know what? I have a transferable skill. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. Right. Well, and at 44, 45, you're able to do that. Not so much when you're, when you're 20. It's much more difficult. So, you know, and I've, I'm pretty confident in my abilities most of the time. And so I'm, I'm happy to tell people that I'm fabulous. <laughs> I mean, like you, certain things. you are fabulous. <laughs> just generally can I say so what I guess is your tips to justice professionals in dealing with the media I think one thing for for anybody dealing with the media is be honest if they're harassing you just pull someone aside if it's that pack mentality when when you're at a court or something for example just pull people aside and say look they really don't or get the lawyer too if you if you're in there and you've got a lawyer get the lawyer to speak on your behalf. I found the, the, the people who have confidence in what they're saying, like lawyers who really knew their stuff, were fantastic as a mouthpiece to, to the media. When lawyers, get, when lawyers are scared of the media, they are terrible. They always come off terrible in, a, in that situation outside a courtroom. If people don't want to talk, just tell someone, say, can you let them know I'm not going to leave until you all pack up or go home or or ask them politely to leave or look I've got you know people are so vulnerable around courts it's um it's such an emotion filled place because things can go your way or your life can change on the the turn of a die so if there is media interest you know if you've got the capability stay in the courtroom until the lights are out and everyone's Mm. gone home because because that can be as damaging to you I think being chased down the street by people that you don't know you know Mm. that's pretty awful stuff and some people have come up with some pretty novel ways of escaping the media. People have dressed in things. I've seen it, you know. But, but for people who are who are at court for themselves and, and the media can be pretty harsh. I, I don't know what advice I'd give, but be honest and, and be civil. You know, I've been punched oh. by, by, by a church minister, for, uh, no less, well, supporter, no I'm less, shocked. you know in the court so people do get overwhelmed with what things are going things that are going on so you know if you if you're nice they will generally be nice if you're civil they will generally be civil if you stop and say i'm sorry we've got nothing to say let them take a photo and then and walk off so much of what happens in justice is subject to media scrutiny and it should be i'm 100 percent. it absolutely should be subject to media scrutiny but like you talked about the representations of youth justice and young people and like I sit here as a criminal justice professional and just go guys we know tough on crime doesn't work and you know we know that we're in this kind of flux of a position Mm. where things doesn't work and a lot of our students are going to be out there in policing and youth justice and child protection and those industries where you are so impacted by what the media says about you do you have any advice for students on how how do you deal with that i think you've got to turn it off you know when you're the center of something you know you see the celebrities turning off their instagram they're not going on on tiktok or anything anymore i think you have to turn yourself off that don't watch the news don't don't be triggered by something that someone says that is completely offensive. 
because you know it's going to be on there. Just find a way to turn off that. I mean, I know quite a number of people who've had things happen. People who just don't watch the news, they don't listen to radio where the news is on. You know, they. I think it's the only way is to switch off. Don't have it in your feeds, in, in social media, because it, it will never help you. It will only serve to to make you crazy. You yeah. Know? I think there's just so much, uh, so much, you know, com- people talking without really knowing the effect it will have on people. And, you know, mainly politicians, you know, often politicians or community saviours. You know, it's just, it's, just turn them off. So in 15 years' time, some student that has listened to this podcast is going to have to front the media to explain some situation that has occurred. (laughs) And I have no doubt in 15 years' time, media is going to be very different to even what it is now. But when they're fronting the media to explain whatever else has occurred, what's your advice to them? Be available. Be honest. And stand there till they don't have any more questions. Oof! So they're not chasing you down the street because it looks terrible. It does totally look terrible, but that's huge. It's huge. And you can stand there. You don't even have to speak. But you'd stand there until they walk away. Yeah, wow. Do they walk away? Is that a thing? They'll have another job. The funding cuts go everywhere, so <laughs> particularly commercial and, and the ABC. So, um, you know, people can't, don't have the time to be standing around waiting for you. I am curious, and this may not be edited in, out in, but I'm curious about what you think the role of the national broadcaster is. Oh, I think it's to uh, ensure that everybody has access. I'm a massive fan of open access. You may remember I am. I work for Open Access Australasia, which is a, a an advocacy group for open access in scholarly publishing. But the ABC, that's what I believe about it. It's access. So people who don't have anything else will always have the ABC. So that means that they've got to provide something for everyone. And I think they do. I think they get it right most of the time. There is so much programming in minorities and disadvantaged communities now that there never was. Uh, the news programming, you know, there's not as much, there's not as many journalists at all out, uh, journalists who are out and about collecting stories. So they mm. rely more heavily on news wires and things than they used to, I think. But um, the public broadcaster is to provide a a world of of entertainment, I think, and information for everyone. I mean, for me, the intersection between justice issues and the media is so incredibly important. Like, we would not have the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse without the work of Joanne McCarthy for the Newcastle Herald. We would not have that without the Four Corners episodes, you know, and I think it's such an important intersection that we we too often write the media off as being awful when really they're imperative to how we get justice yeah. socially and publicly. Oh, absolutely. And, and another thing about the ABC as far as that is concerned, you know, I worked with them for, for 11 years, I think, or 12 years, 
and never once was there any um, I was never told not to do a story about a yeah, particular wow. thing and that absolute independence that every journalist had at that time I presume it's the same now that would not be said for any of the commercial stations at all so you know and I and I know other journalists who've worked in, in newspapers and regional newspapers where they've been specifically told you don't put those people on the front of the paper you don't put do a story about that here you know but at the ABC if we we got onto a story that we thought was a, a ripper we would absolutely be able to do it and that freedom having a job when you know you've got that freedom is is very gives you a lot of confidence yeah. in the place that you work and you know the ABC's is, you know you love it and at exact same same time you hate it because there's other things that go on but it was um you know it's it's independence in journalism at the time that I was there and I was only in the Brisbane newsroom was was absolutely important and and a big part of of how it ran. So totally something that we undersell. Mm. What is your top tips for students surviving at university? Okay, go to the library. Go to the library. Go to the library, have a look around the library, find spaces in the library where you're comfortable and use them to study. Get away from your your roommates or whatever's going on at home. Use the library because it's a really good space. It's open 24-7, which, you know, that's only been for the last couple of years, last year. So so if you're doing shift work or if you're doing anything, use the library, the physical spaces in the library. So you can get to know your way around the, the library website because it, there's so much information there to help you if you're struggling with something. So, so the help page, for example, on the website, you can chat with a librarian any day of the week. You can make an appointment with a librarian. So if you're looking for, for information for your assignments, you can't find it. You've got so many avenues able to uh, open to you. Read your task sheets and your assessments really thoroughly and make sure you understand what they're asking. And if you don't understand it, talk to your tutor about it because there's so such little questions that you might need to ask just to get it right in your mind and if you don't do that you can just go off on the wrong tangent waste a whole lot of time and then not do very well learn how to reference your assignments that's very important please (laughs) it's so important it's not just about getting you know your referencing marks or whatever's been associated but we're really big on you know we don't want anyone to to plagiarize anything accidentally and that is often a big problem students get something off the web they don't know where it's from they might not reference or you might just forget to reference it's all about academic integrity so don't don't mistakenly do something that can that can be quite detrimental in your in your student life really important points there do you have a favorite theory theorist body of work in your life i don't think i do i don't think i do i think treat people equitably I mean equity is my my sort of thing I really think you know we are so lucky here in Australia people overseas you know don't have the same equity to education same equity you know to health care and and things like that so I think that's probably the most important treat people like you'd like to be treated very basic principles of life but I don't have any real philosophy they probably come from some famous philosophy. Probably. How do you maintain curiosity about life? I don't know. I'm constantly sort of Googling things to find out why that happened or when that happened or something. Wikipedia, 
is a great thing. It's a great tool. Use it. And I'm just going to say it for this reason. Use it, read it, get an overview, and then look down at the reference that's taken from it and go to the reference to, to, to find the, the real story. But really great for an overview. And like that's, a, that's an example of equity, Wikipedia. People can go on there and create mm. anything. It is moderated, but it is a great free encyclopedia of everything in the world. Everybody who has an internet, internet uh, capability can access that, you know. Do you have thoughts on ChatGTP? Oh, I'm I'm so I I have a little bit I do like a little bit of chaos when that happens, you know, in big institutional <laughs> chaos or chaos in like you know t- dreadful when COVID started. But the chaos that ensued, I kind of get a freak. <laughs> what's going to happen next? Curiosity out of it, and that's how I feel with ChatGTP. It's um. It's going to turn things on its head or it's just going to fizzle out and there'll be something else that everyone will be talking about. But I'm, I worry about it in academia and I don't worry about it all. The universities, what are they going to do about I wonder about people using it and, and getting in trouble for plagiarism because just remember that those kind of AI bots, though they're getting better all the time, if you've read an essay and you've read a chat GTP essay, it's pretty easy to detect yeah. the difference. There's no depth in in the work that they do. It's it's so I think people desperate to quickly answer a question about something that they've been giving an assignment will go, oh, I'll just do this and I'll change a bit around but it's it, it lacks the depth of thought that people have who have written these things. So I just think it's I think it'll be one of those things that they'll spend a lot of money on and everything will happen and then it will just fizzle fizzle out because people have realised it. You can tell that it's not yeah. written by a human. Interesting. I don't know. Yeah, I know Famous like, last words. I know totally. Like I think about is it gonna change the way that we do and understand knowledge and knowledge production. Sandra, you are one of my total favourite people on campus and I just, I think your curiosity and your pursuit of getting things right has been really remarkable and you've always been such an excellent, reliable person for me to call and go, Sandra, I don't know what's going on. Can you fix this for me? Tell me what's going on. How do I find this thing that I need? And I think librarians are 100% magic and 100% underappreciated. I feel like you're like the hoarding knowledge dragons of academia who like you can go to and say, I need this pearl of whatever and librarians will be able to pull it out for you. So thank you so much. Love having you on campus. I love having you at QT and I love having you on How To Academia. No, oh, thank you. That's been fantastic. I've really enjoyed it. And as you know, you're one of my faves. I think you're injustice. <laughs> we do good work. Yeah, you do great work. This podcast was hosted and produced by the excellent Associate Professor Jody Deeth. Editing by Kelsey Adams. That's me. Music by Poddington Bear. And this podcast was developed with support from the Queensland University of Technology. Thank you for listening.